music, all right? So something to get the blood flowing. If any of you have Fitbits, I'd be really curious if that made your heart rate increase when uh, that came on there. But uh, we are beginning and starting a new series, as Damien talked a little bit, as I have as well. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks together is look at the different names of God that are given to us in the Old Testament. We're not going to look at every one of them. Um, But we are going to look at certainly several of them. And by and large, each week we're going to take two under consideration. There will be a couple weeks where we take a few more. Um, But in the first several weeks together, we're going to be looking at the L's. And that will make a little bit more sense as we get going here this morning. And then uh, we're going to make a shift along the way and then start looking at the Yahweh's or the Jehovah's. And uh, that'll make a little bit more sense as we get underway also. Um, And so what we're going to do this morning is try to make sense of and get our minds wrapped around and understand Elohim and El Shaddai. And as we just sang, Elohim, Creator, God, All-Sufficient, El Shaddai, those are the really good paraphrased summaries of the definitions we're going to look at and uh, what we want to try and see over the next several weeks. And here's why we're even doing this, is that as we look at the names of God, I want us to try to see that names reveal character. And we don't think about that so much in our world today as it was once thought of in previous generations. But names reveal character and maybe you chose a specific name for your child or maybe your name was chosen specifically because of something that that name had in its definition. Um, when, we, when we picked Allegra's name, the first of the four that we chose, that was just the name we agreed on. There wasn't anything real amazing or, or dynamic that led to that. Carrie and I spent several months just debating what names we were going to pick. And then we were watching a movie one night, and the leading actress's name was Allegra. And we're like, hey, that's great. Let's just go with that. And so, child, that's how you were named. And I uh, can tell the, you know, the love and care that went into that. Uh, but then here's the crazy thing. And I don't want to make too much of this, but here's the crazy thing. All right, we see in the scriptures that names reveal character. And the second thing we'll see is names reveal actions. And oftentimes, God names people, and then they, they end up doing what he named them to do. Um, well, it's like the opposite happened for her um, because we named her and then a couple years later we were, we were at a fair and we were scrolling through those signs that have the different names and the definition of those names on it and we found Allegra, believe it or not, in this box and we read the definition and we we're like, holy smokes, that's our child. It fit her to a T but the sign was way too expensive and so we didn't buy it but we were like, wow, that's 
who she is. And so again, I don't want to make too much of that, but names reveal character. Tobin means courage, or Yanti means courage. Tobin means bold. It's a derivative of Toby. And uh, we actually thought a lot about his name. Um, I'm not sure there was a whole lot of thought for Tucker and Adelaide, quite frankly. Um, But names reveal character. And the scriptures actually tell us that a good name is to be chosen rather than riches. That if you had the option between the wealth of the world or great riches and a good name, choose the name. Because names reveal character. There's something important about that. And regardless if, I mean, our, our culture doesn't think about this as much anymore as it used to, but it wasn't too long ago, relatively speaking, that the expression, his name is mud, came about. And there's some debate on historical scholars whether or not that came from the conspirator with John Wilkes Booth and the assassination of Lincoln or whether that predated Samuel Mudd, who was a doctor and uh, dissatisfied with things that were happening in America at that time. Um, there's, there's some debate on the origins of that, but you all know what the expression is if you've heard it. And one of the things that I just try to do with my boys is there will be times where I just tell them, look, this is, this is what clothiers do, or this is not what clothiers do. Because there's a character that I want them to know and that I want to develop in them that's associated with their name. And so that when others hear the name clothier, there's a character revealed. Names reveal character. Secondly, we're going to see over the next several weeks that names reveal actions. Names reveal action. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts on high, is one of the names that we are going to be looking at. Chris Tomlin put out a song several years ago, God of Angel Armies. It was the song, Whom Shall I Fear, I think was the title of it. Um, but the, the chorus said, the God of Angel Armies is on my side. That's Jehovah Sabaoth. That's the God who commands the angelic world, is wielding his power and authority for you. That all things would work together according to good for those who love God and been called according to his purposes. But the God of angel armies is working things. Names reveal action. We're going to see some action of God in the names revealed about him. The scriptures would give us some clues in to that as well. Psalm 46 verses 1 to 3. This one's going to show up a few different times. And this coming summer when we, when we kind of work our way back through the Psalms together. I'm planning for us to spend some time in 46. But God is our refuge and strength. Elohim is our refuge and strength. The very present help in trouble. There's the idea of protection there. There's the idea of refuge there. It spills over into a little bit of what El Shaddai even means. But names reveal actions. Though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea and its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Just think about that imagery, those word pictures. 
We're talking about massive geographic upheaval. Imagine standing in the middle of the earthquake that just recently hit. The psalmist is saying in the middle of those moments, God is a refuge. Certainly, I think that would be applied literally, also metaphorically as well. Different tumultuous things that we experience throughout life. Names reveal action and God's name is a refuge and God's name is power. So God is our refuge and strength. We just looked at Proverbs 18.10 tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. It was said of Jesus by the disciples when they had been arrested by the religious leaders and told not to talk about him any longer. That there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's names have refuge and power. And regarding Jesus, God therefore highly exalted him and gave him the name that is higher than any other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Names reveal character. Names reveal action. God's names are our refuge and strength. And over the next several weeks, we want to unpack these and look at these together. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at the Old Testament name this morning, Elohim, El Shaddai. And then we're going to try to unpack what it means there and how it was used and the definitions given by that Hebrew word. And then we're going to, we're going to look at how that same Hebrew word was translated then into Greek. And if that sounds like we're going to do a lot of language work, it's not true. We're just going to summarize a lot of those things together. And uh, what happened, it was about a couple hundred years before Jesus was born, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. And so they picked Greek words to correlate to Hebrew words. And so the Greek word theos was picked to correlate with Elohim. And it's the Greek word theos that we get our word theology from. It just means God. And it obviously shows up a lot in the New Testament, um, some 1,300 times, I believe. And uh, we're going to look and see how the New Testament uses some of those Old Testament words and how they talk about Jesus in light of that and how he specifically claims a certain name for himself which he does there will be names that he just says this is me there will be moments where we look at that he is credited with a specific name that the biblical authors tell us hey that's him and there will be moments that we just look at the actions of Jesus and we see him personifying the very image of the invisible God that he is, and living out what that name means. So that's going to be how we approach and structure our weeks together, because I don't want this to just be 10, 12 weeks learning Old Testament Hebrew words that we might not be able to pronounce real well, and we'll have to sing a song to remember as much as seeing the face of Jesus 
as the image of the invisible God that he is. As the one who is the exact imprint of the nature and character of God that he is. So that we can understand more of who he is. More of his love for us and in turn respond in kind. So before we go any further, let's pray together. And then we'll begin stepping through and unpacking these two names with one another. Well, God, here now we're going to end up trying to do the unthinkable in a lot of ways. We as finite, imperfect, sinful people are going to try to get our minds wrapped around you who are infinite and perfect and holy. God, I just want to acknowledge here right on the outset that, that we're, we're limited. In and of ourselves, we don't have the tools we need. We don't have the spiritual eyesight that we need. We don't have the mental fortitude that we need to understand who you are. You have drawn near and you revealed things about yourself to us. You send your spirit to give illumination to your word and help us understand spiritual things. And so we just we plead for that. Your word tells us that in our time of need, as we draw near to your throne, we find the grace and mercy that we need. And this is certainly one of those times. That left to ourselves, we may understand words, we may understand where those words are found, we may understand what they mean, but it could all be disconnected from what you would have your word do in our hearts and in our minds and through our lives. And so God, I just ask that you'd be gracious to us and that your spirit would go and do work in this room, in these moments, here and now, doing what only he is capable of doing. And so we ask that We pray for that grace. Help us to see more of Jesus. Understand more of your love for us as demonstrated through him. And in turn, love you more. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen. Well, as we go, we'll put a lot of different scriptures on the screens. And so I think your notes page in the bulletin, if you have it, is going to be particularly helpful for you. And you're certainly welcome to turn and to flip. Um, But part of what we're trying to do in getting our minds wrapped around um, 
these words and these names and thinking about the different places that they are used in the scriptures, there could be lots and lots of different references, and we're just not going to try to turn there every time to catch up. And so I would just encourage you to be writing the references down, circling back through in the coming week or in the week that's now upcoming, and uh, thinking a little bit more about these things. Um, But we're not even going to look at all the references for Elohim because there's almost 2,600 of them. And uh, so we're not going to get our minds wrapped around that. There will be no slide that's able to contain all 2,600 references of that. But rather, what we're going to do is try to see where the names defined. And admittedly, I'm kind of picking and choosing verses. Um, And so uh, we'll just look at a few of them together. But the name Elohim is defined as the one true God, the creator the possessor of all power. And this word Elohim, like I said, it's used some 2,600 times in the Old Testament. It's used for both a reference to the one true God, the creator and possessor of all, but it's also used at times in references to lower spiritual beings or even false gods. And so um, what you have is something actually a little similar to how those over in Britain from different generations would have referred to lords and ladies. And so you would have an expression of my lord being used to reference this title, but there wouldn't be the confusion of that individual being considered to be God. And the Old Testament uses this word Elohim in similar ways. And um, Jesus himself even references some of these different times. And Yahweh, or the word Lord, I should say, is used, and it occurs similarly. And Dwayne just read a passage for us, I believe, out of Deuteronomy that got after some of that for us. But here's just an expression of that, an example of that. And what our Bibles do for us is where it's a reference to God, we get the capital G. Where it's a reference to a lower spiritual being or a false God, we get a lowercase g. But it's actually all still the word Elohim more often than not. But in Deuteronomy 4, 7, 4, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it? Well, it's, it's clearly talking about false gods and idols that has a God so near to it as the Lord, our God, their capital G, Elohim, whenever we call upon him. Deuteronomy ten seventeen. Duane did read this, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of Lords, the great and mighty, the awesome God. And there again would be another reference where you have different Elohims written, but our English Bibles give us a hand in understanding what's happening there. And we get the capital or the lowercase g to clue us in. And so we can see one more reference regarding that. This is when Elijah's on Mount Carmel. He's squaring off with the prophets of Baal. And he sets the terms of this competition, you could call it. He says, you call in the name of your Elohim, and I'll call in the name of the Lord, and the Elohim who answers by fire, he is Elohim. And all the people spoke and answer, it is well. And we know how that story ends up. They spend the better part of 
hours trying to get the attention of their God to no avail, then Elijah, Elijah begins taunting them. They get all the more worked up and feverish, and it still is to no avail, and he brings them the buckets to drench the altar and all of those things, and then he just speaks, and fire comes down. Because there is only one all-powerful, one true God. And that was Isaiah's point. And the scriptures bear that for us. And our English translations help us discern that, even though these same words get used. Elohim is the plural form of the word God. And scholars, are, are they debate back and forth as to whether or not the plural is a reference to transcendence or if it's, a, if it's an echo, a, a very slight echo. We might even call it an allusion to the Trinity. Not that there's three gods, but there's one God and three persons, that there's this echo that shows up. And we see that echo elsewhere throughout Genesis 1, and Elohim is used all over Genesis 1 and And we're not going to step into that so much, but I do want us to see what the singular form of the word God is, because this helps us clue into a little bit other or else of what our scriptures give us. The singular form of the word God is just E-L. So when we look at El Shaddai, it's God Shaddai. But the word E-L, or the letter E-L, or the letters E-L, show up in a lot of familiar biblical names. And that's important to the definition of those names. Elisha, God is my salvation. Elijah, he is God or he is my God. Eleazar, God has helped. Israel, God strives. Samuel, name of God. Bethel, house of God. Ishmael, God hears. Daniel, God is my judge. Joel, Yahweh is God. Ezekiel, God strengthens. The list could go on and on. And I won't tell you that this is 100% the case, but there is good reason for you to pause when you see a Old Testament name where the letters E and L show up right next to one another. Because God's probably got something to do with the name and what that name means as shown and exemplified there on the screen. The name Elohim is the one true God, the creator, the possessor of all power, and we are introduced to him in the very beginning of the scriptures. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Moses' account from Genesis, or of Genesis, was not the first creation account that ever existed. In fact, if we understand the dates and the author of Genesis correctly, Moses is not even an eyewitness here, so much as the one who was told by God what happened when God created things, and then Moses writes it down for us. Moses doesn't become an eyewitness to these things until the book of Exodus, because he's not even born 
until the beginning of the book of Exodus. So all of Genesis is God telling Moses or Moses hearing through oral transmission all the way down the generations of what happened. But nobody was there in the beginning. And so it wasn't like Adam had a first and front and center seat to this. He shows up not too long after. But God's revealing to Moses what he wants us to know about himself. And it wasn't a pantheon of gods. It was the one true God. And he created the heavens and the earth. He is the all-powerful one. He is the creator. Psalm 46, we looked at that just a few minutes ago. Again, there you have Elohim is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Why can Elohim be a very present help when the earth gives way and there are massive geographic or geological upheavals taking place? Because he's the creator of all of it anyways. He's the one who made it. He's the one who possesses power over it. We learn from the book of Hebrews that it's Jesus himself who is with his word upholding the universe. And so he's absolutely the one who's able to be refuge and strength when it seems like the universe is tottering. And again, I think there can be some literal application there and also some metaphorical or some figurative application there. But Elohim is the one true God, the creator, the possessor of all power. One scholar wrote this, the name Elohim contains the idea of creative and governing power of omnipotence and sovereignty. The word Elohim was prophesied of Jesus. Isaiah writes, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. And it was John the Baptist who came and said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. We'll unpack this further in the coming weeks, but here Jesus isn't just prophesied to be Elohim that is coming. He's also prophesied to be Yahweh who is coming as well. It's part of what gets him into some pretty hot water with the religious leaders of his day. But these things were prophesied of Jesus, and it's in the Greek, that in the New Testament, as uh, we see this word theos being used some 1,300 times, and it just is translated in our Bibles as God. And to help make this even more clear, we have John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. We understand the Word to be Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, it was Jesus who made the heavens and the earth. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything was made. Was not anything made that was made. Thomas, when Jesus reveals to him the wounds in his hand and the 
wound in his side, responds, my Lord and my God. Elohim's the name of our creator God in whose name there is salvation and refuge for those who trust in him. Elohim is the all-powerful one. El Shaddai is roughly translated as God Almighty and All-Sufficient One. Now, if I've done a decent job at communicating here this morning so far how these words work, the word El means God. So then it's Shaddai that we get our word Almighty from. And if I did a good, decent job studying this past week and unpacking some of these things from the Hebrew Scriptures, then, then I understood correctly that the word Almighty, or the word Shaddai, I should say, comes from an even shorter word in the Hebrew that's roughly translated as breast. It's the word Shad, S-H-A-D. So you can even see it part of Shaddai there. But the idea behind that is what you might think of when you hear that word as it relates to nourishment and sufficiency to provide for needs. And it's actually used that way. In fact, there's some prophecies in the book of Isaiah as well where it is specifically prophesied that God will do some of these shad things for his people. It has the idea of sufficiency, able to provide. And the image that this word and its usage brings to mind is the provision that a mother or a father would give to their children. There's really two primary ways that El Shaddai is written of, and it doesn't show up as El Shaddai every time it's used. There's several times Shaddai just shows up by itself, and then a handful of times that El Shaddai shows up together. And what you have is one sense of this word as God Almighty and the other as all-sufficient. The aspect of Almighty has with it the sense of both protection and terror. And I'll be honest with you, we find ourselves much more comfortable with the protection aspect than the terror. But God presents himself as both. It was when we were working through the book of Ecclesiastes that we worked out a phrase in the midst of that. I think it was especially, particularly when we got to chapter 5 in Ecclesiastes, that there's a godness to God that's not to be trifled with. El Shaddai takes on that meaning. The Almighty takes on that meaning. Shaddai shows up in the book of Job more than any other book in the Old Testament. Shaddai shows up in total 48 times. It's in the book of Job that we have 31 of those 48 occurrences. And here's an idea of terror. God says to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. I underlined God there because there's our word Elohim that shows up again. But look at Job's answer. 
Then Job answered the Lord, that would actually be Yahweh, we have at least three of God's names in this passage. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I'll not answer twice. Job's saying, God, God, I I stuck my foot in my mouth once. What I'm looking to do now is to pull it out and then put my hand over it so I can't put it back in a second time. Because in that whirlwind and in those moments with God, Job understood something he didn't know before. That there's a godness to God that's not to be trifled with. Ruth expresses something similar. She comes back. I'm sorry, it was Naomi. Comes back with Ruth. It's in the book of Ruth. Naomi's coming back, a woman who's lost everyone but Ruth. And she says this, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty, the Shaddai, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty, the Shaddai, has brought calamity Upon me. We see in the scriptures there's a godness to God that's not to be trifled with because of who he is. The Almighty. It's in Joel that we see that there's there's a day of punishment when the Almighty comes. It's a day of destruction. It's Revelation 19 that gives us Imagery and a prophecy of Jesus returning. And he's returning as Shaddai. He's returning as Jehovah Sabaoth, commanding the angelic hosts. The Almighty who's coming. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine when I was out in Indiana a couple weeks ago and he he used the phrase, the trauma of holiness. It's like, that's, that's really good. And what he was referring to was there are moments in the scriptures that we see people who get a glimpse of who God is. Just a taste, because it's not everything, but just a taste. And they are undone. They are like Isaiah, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. They are like John in Revelation, who had spent three years with Jesus, but then sees him as the risen, glorified Christ and falls as if, his, as if he is dead. They are like Matthew in the boat. I'm not, not Matthew, I'm sorry, Peter in the boat. And Jesus performs a miracle. He just says, depart from me, I'm a sinful Man, these are all glimpses of these individuals getting a picture of the Shaddai, the almighty, the godness to God that's not to be trifled with. But this word's also used to describe protection. And for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith and have put their faith and trust in God, they can say what the psalmist in Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That all of that 
godness, all of that dread, all of that terror, all of that power, all of that otherness that God is, now actually moves from terror to protection for those who dwell in his shelter. For those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim in whom I trust. Solomon writes that in, the, in Proverbs 9 verse 10, it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. It's the acknowledgement that there's a godness to God that's not to be trifled with. That actually is what starts us to then enjoy and receive the benefit of his refuge and his power on our behalf. Well, there's another sense to the word Shaddai, and it's the idea of provision. And here in Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. So there you have El Shaddai showing up, not just Shaddai, which gets translated as God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. The idea here is that God's able to fulfill the promises that he has made to Abraham. And they were some pretty audacious promises. You're going to have a son. The man's 99 years old. His wife has been barren for her entire life. And God has promised to overcome the womb and their age and provide him a son. And we know Abraham doesn't put his trust in God 100%. And we look back at that and we go, oh man, if he had just known the, the whole story, and you know, he's probably like a lot of us. But God's able to make good on his word because he's the Almighty. Because he's El Shaddai and all sufficient. He can do what he says he's going to do. It's in Genesis 28. These were a little bit longer, so I didn't want to put them on the screen, but it's in Genesis 28 that Isaac blesses Jacob. So I know we're going to some Old Testament patriarchs here, but you have Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, the father of then, I believe, the, the 12 sons, and um, you then get Joseph and the dream coat and all of those people. Jacob's Blessing, Isaac's blessing on Jacob, I should say. First began with an instruction, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you. And make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. And if you're familiar with the story, you know Jabe, Uncle, Uncle Laban was a bit of a shady character. And Jacob ended up with two wives on the back end of that deal. But he eventually leaves Padanaram. And it's in chapter 35 that God appeared to Jacob again. When he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Elohim said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel 
God strives. That shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. In Genesis 28, you have the blessing of a father to his son. And a prophetic statement made about Jacob's life. And in chapter 35, you have El Shaddai not only showing where he fulfills that, but reaffirming that promise in the character of himself as the one who's able to make good on his word. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. The him is Jesus That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because he's able to provide. He's able to do what he says he's going to do because he's God Almighty. Because he's the one true God, the creator God, the all-powerful God. And we see these things revealed to us throughout God's word as he, as he restricts himself by language to draw near to us, to describe to us who it is that he is. What is his character like? What are his actions like? What promises has he made? And I'll I'll be just fully honest with you. Some of the promises that God has made in the scriptures are not promises for us to take. They were promises made to other people. Some promises have been fulfilled. Some promises are waiting to be fulfilled by other people, in particular the nation and the people of Israel. There's a whole host of promises, though, that God has made to you and I. And every one of them will find their yes in Jesus Christ because of who he is. So just to tie together some big thoughts from our last series and where we begin in this series. The promise that Jesus is one day returning and is reigning and will reign forevermore. That Paul articulates in 1 Corinthians 15 will be made good because of who God is. As the Almighty, as the possessor of all power, as the all-sufficient one, as our Elohim and our El Shaddai. Our God is the sovereign creator. He's the Almighty. He's the all-sufficient. And he's the God that's drawn near in his son, Jesus. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's in that son's name then that you and I are commanded in Hebrews 4 to draw near to the throne of God. To find the grace and mercy we need in our time of need. Because this is who he is. 
And he has commanded every one of us, not just invited us, there's certainly an invitation, but he has commanded every one of us to come to him as our Elohim, as our El Shaddai. It's as if God's saying, look, I got this. Just trust me. God, I don't know all of what is going on in the lives of those in this room this morning. But you do. Because you're the one true God. You're the possessor of all power. You alone have omniscience. And you know everything. And so God, you alone know how and where these truths need to sink deeply into our souls. And God, I just pray that you would, you would just be gracious by your spirit to do that. That you would, you would remind us again and again and again of your all-sufficiency, of your power, who you are and that what you have said you will do you will do because you're able to make good on your promises so God we draw near we draw near to recognize that we have needs desperately in need of your grace and your mercy We thank you for being our Elohim and our El Shaddai.